Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, it's Anna. Just a quick note before we get to our new episode. Earlier this year, we did a series of live national call-in shows centered around our mental health. The series was called Hold On. And it came about largely because of how often we hear from mental health providers in our community of listeners. Counselors, social workers, therapists, and more, they've told us through the years that our podcast has been a useful addition to the work they do. We take this as an enormous compliment, and we wanted to make it even easier for mental health professionals to share our show with clients and patients. That's why we created a new episode resource guide called The Things We Need to Talk About More. It's organized around the recurring themes in our interviews. Death, sex and relationships, money, family relationships, addiction, mental health, and moving through life stages. You can find this new episode guide on our website at deathsexmoney.org guide. And you can also download the guide as a PDF to make it easier to share. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. And now, my conversation with one of my favorite people to talk about mental health with, Comedian Maria Bamford. They'd be like, well, we're just here to have a good time. I am not a good time. <laughs> I am an assignment from a therapist. I'm, I'm, I'm some a, a comedian, some other comedians come to see and go, huh. And I can sell out a room in Portland on a Tuesday. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. Maria Bamford is a comedian and actress. You may know her from her many stand-up specials or her Netflix show, Lady Dynamite. I first interviewed Maria on the show back in 2020, and she has an excellent new book out called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, a memoir of mental illness and the quest to belong anywhere. The book is honest, very funny, and genuinely helpful. And I got to talk to Maria all about it in front of a live audience at City Arts and Lectures in San Francisco earlier this fall. Something you say in this book is how full disclosure you have found is a cash cow. Yes, yes. And then you... And a compulsion. (laughs) Compulsion. And you ask, is this radical honesty or narcissistic showboating? (laughs) What do you think? I think, uh, well, I would love to say that it's um, a real happy medium. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think... It, it's very. I've I've always liked attention. Uh, I think. Um, oh my gosh, who's com- the comedian? I saw, just saw uh, J- 
John Mulaney. And one of his last premises, he says in his most recent special, and now if I can just get enough attention, I'll be fine. <laughs> I was like, mm, but that's it. Yeah, so I, I think uh, there's something something there. Uh, but is it, it, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, well, I want... <laughs> it is... <laughs> I think it is both and because it is because the the gift of being able to hear what you're disclosing is for somebody who's secretly holding some shame they have somebody to look at and think it's not just me. Yeah, like I li- I love um autobiographies, biographies, memoirs where it's like you get to hear all the horrifying things that people have done. I mean it's just like I when we were, I was trying to write this I kept reading biographies of alcoholic depressive poets going they're a monster like just (laughs) monstrous Uh, I wonder if how you can talk about at this point in your life you you must have different coping mechanisms but as somebody who's uh inclined to share can you just talk about like over the course of your life what you've learned about uh how it feels when you disclose something and then you are not met with understanding. Yeah, that feels terrible. It always, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then what? Then yeah. what? Then, well, you just keep keep talking and talking until you find somebody who lights up when you say, um, you know, I'm, I'm having a psychotic break, I think, you know, or, or whatever it is, you know, and somebody doesn't look away. <laughs> um... But that that is it's heartbreaking when you you get up the courage to, to tell somebody about something and and then they either say I don't know what you're talking about or um, or uh, go away or any number of of things yeah and also being open about like being psych because I didn't realize somehow I thought a psych ward would be pleasant. Wow. Well, I mean, that was just such a big surprise that it was, you know, and I, I paid money to be in one. One was off insurance. Terrible as well. Like, just, like, wow. They had, um, I went to emergency psychiatric once, and they had, this was, uh, they had a, a CNN story of basically a, just a snuff film being being mm-hmm. played over and over again in the emergency <laughs> psychiatric. I was just like, can we change this to the Cartoon Network or something? Like, what the... F- I mean... Well, I, I maybe this speaks to my na- naivete, but you tell this story of, of being very intentional, of going to get inpatient help. You found the place. You looked at the schedule that was posted on the website. You packed. Uh, oh, my And God. then what did you learn about that schedule? All the classes. It was. Okay, so it's called Lost Encinas. It's in Pasadena, California. And, it, you know, I now call it Lost at Sea because it's... <laughs> so beautiful and I think they have the same advertising up this is 10 years later it um yeah it's schedule of you know yoga we have uh addiction support groups uh then dealing with your symptoms medications whatever and then they would have um they had a pool and 
once I'd written my check, because I had to write a check for $3,600 <laughs> because they didn't take credit cards, I was like, you guys know that sending in, spending an enormous amount of money all at once on something that may not be rational is a sign of mania. Uh, uh, but anyways, I got in and, uh, and, you know, I immediately, cause they had a whole schedule up. I was like, oh, I, I can't seem to find the, the pool or the yoga. They said, oh no, that, no, we don't have that. <laughs> no, that's been gone for years. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. This isn't a hotel. Oh, I know it isn't. I know it's not a hotel, but you guys, your advertising has been suggesting. <laughs> yeah, it was just so, it, it, that whole um, where you already feel crazy, and you probably are, and then somebody is, uh, yeah, the gaslighting of like, oh, yeah, this is, yeah. Anyways, I'm sure people have that experience. I'm not alone in that. Um, it's very odd. <laughs> when it, speaking of the $3,600, something I so appreciate about all of your work, and in particular, a particular spreadsheet in this book, mm. I love learning about numbers of right. what people earn and what right. they spend on Isn't things. It fascinating? And I really appreciate it. I skipped ahead to look at it. Oh, of course, was like, of course. And so there. I wonder what for you, when you thought about what you wanted to put in here, like what felt really exciting about sharing the money in, money out of your business and the people you pay to get to do this work? Part of it is compulsive oversharing. Like I go, am I doing a good job? Is this okay? I did get a couple people say I should raise my rates for my friend Jackie who opens for me. So I did do that. And uh, uh, so it's like, it's, it's, yeah, farming it out to the community. Like, is this any good? I read some books about open book accounting where different, um, I think Chobani Yogurt does it, where everybody in the company takes an accounting class. Everybody knows what all the numbers are, so that if you have an argument, you want to get paid more, you know, you have inf all the information. And, uh, and I just thought, I know, as I wasn't very curious about what people were earning still, like, so I think my own failures of curiosity of like, oh, can I ask you what you're making? Because, uh, yeah, and then... And, and especially, I think, uh, comedy has had a boom in the past 10 years, so a lot of people are making so much more money. So if somebody's selling out a club for the week, that's and they're selling a lot of booze, like if they're a, a party act, like they're making 25, 30 grand with merch and stuff. To not give a bump to the open is just like, like that's so, that's just so sad or or to the housekeeper that the hotel you're staying at the uh lift driver who's driving you like what'd you raise the rates to for jackie um okay so for a while i did profit sharing with jackie so when i had the tv show i gave her 30 percent of whatever i took it or you know whatever the net was net if you don't know is the amount of money <laughs> you will actually get Gross is the disgusting amount that is never gross. <laughs> <laughs>
you're not gonna get that ever. Um, but so I was paying her 1200 plus air and hotel for every show, but now I've raised it to 2000 plus air and hotel. Um, I can tell you what I'm earning today, tonight. I'm earning $2,500. Um, what are you getting paid, Anna? I'm getting paid less, but I am getting paid, which is appropriate that you're the draw but, and, I- but you're the mother of two. What are you getting paid? Come on. <laughs> I, I I actually am not quite sure, but I think it's around a thousand or twelve hundred dollars. Okay, I'll give you a bump, girl. <laughs> you mentioned Lady Dynamite there, and and one of the most um, fascinating parts in this book, I thought, was what happens when you become a famous comedian who is famous <laughs> for. Accessing mental health care and having mental illness, and then you get a show about it about being someone with mental illness, and you are just recently out of some pretty intensive interventions and figuring out how to work and have a job while you're on new treatment for mental illness. And you describe Netflix being very excited about this show. Sure. We're gonna help you take care of yourself. We're gonna Make sure you don't have to work beyond a certain number of hours. And then what happened? Well, I think it's it's like every job. Every job you get, every you know, relationships in general. Everybody starts out on their best foot of just like it we totally get it. <laughs> I mean, we just want this to be we're a family. Okay. We see you. You know, like, everybody's trying the best they can, and then the machine starts, and then they're like, oh, shit, you can't work weekends? That's kind of <laughs> fucking us up. Like, 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 yeah, so I don't think anybody was evil or anything. It was just sort of like they, uh, I remember, yeah, the first day work, they said, uh, Screen Actors Guild has a 12-hour turnaround uh, minimum, but if they pay penalties, uh, then they can do whatever they want. They can go, oh, well, it's a five-hour turnaround, but you'll get an extra 10 grand, I guess. Meaning you go home and you have four hours four to hours sleep, to get, another to, hour to get... Yeah. yeah. Or just work stay, straight through. Sometimes that can happen on movies and stuff like that. I told them just every t- time, hey, I, I know that would be great if I could keep going and... Not because every day they would ask me, could you take the penalties and come back sooner? Uh, because we're already behind schedule. And I had to say, oh, yeah, but I, the thing is, it's real. I will go ballistic. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if you want, how you want the show to work out, but um, so, but. Also, like the second season, they got me a tent on stage, which was um, was so nice. I could zip myself in because the medication I'm on, uh, Depakote, Seroquel, and Prozac, are all sleepy time medications. So I I sleep about 12 hours a night. Like they would uh, drop me off at home, I'd just fall asleep, and then I'd wake up back up again. But I was exhausted through the day. Like I. I was grateful on some level that the show wasn't renewed because it was it was a little bit beyond my capabilities. Who, um, how did you get the tent? Because I'm curious about 
I, I do think it's advocating for yourself in a workplace when yes. you do feel, especially like when you have some power on the set and you're not wanting to create trouble for other people. Like, yeah. did you, was that something that you had to kind of be on the front lines and have those conversations yourself or did you have? Yes, it okay. was only, and I think everybody relates with that. Like you could have somebody who's an advocate, but like I asked my manager, Bruce, and he was just like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Maria, I just, I don't know. I mean, like, it's just, it comes down to you. Like, I had this other thing recently. This is about getting paid where um, someone asked me to do a job. And it was somebody who's very famous of power or whatever. And uh, they didn't mention anything about money. So we kept working together. And I kept having to um, negotiate salary. And I finally, you know, asked my agent manager. I was like, hey, you guys, could you talk to this guy? Because... Uh, I don't want to keep, you know, going, well, it's going to be another 800 bucks. <laughs> um, and my agent manager were like, um, well, let's just say it was Grimace from McDonald's. <laughs> well, Maria, it's Grimace. I mean, he's such a great guy. He really, you definitely want to work with Grimace. And I'm like... Yeah, I do, but anyways, but I ended up negotiating it for my myself. For or, yourself. Or, or I, I called my lawyer Lev Ginsburg, and um, I love Lev Ginsburg. I have never met him in real life, but every time I call him, he's going 50 miles an hour on a 10-speed bike through Century City, California, <laughs> laughing about how much money he's going to get me. You just mentioned the medications that you're taking. Yes. One of those medications is a medication your mother took. Yes. For 30 years. Yes. And she called it her anti-seizure medication. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) When you realized that that medication is what was helping you and your mental health, how did it make you rethink what you'd experienced being your mother's daughter? Um, yeah, like, just that my, my mom was, would get really freaked out about ethical things as well as cleanliness and stuff like that. And so now I kind of go, oh, like, yeah, just the passion that she had behind those, and they felt like episodes, like, freakouts about, um, you know, my sister, I think, smoked pot at one point. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was bananas, my mom's response. At least, I think, in retrospect. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. She she never thought, felt like she had um, any mental health problems. So, but when she went off of it, uh, she, yeah, she went into a manic episode. And then it was like... Hmm. Hmm. But uh, but she had cool ideas, which is what. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm gonna go to Twin Cities and spend ten thousand dollars. <laughs> right on. Uh, is that something? Did, were you able to discuss that with her before she died? Kind oh of like, yes, uh-huh. yeah, and. Yeah, my mom was, yeah, she was the best, and she, 
Yeah, she she was just she's really yeah, just the best, the best, the best, the best. And I think about her all the time. And yeah, I have jokes about it like how like <laughs> she loved life. Like she would be here and she'd be like, Oh, Anna Sale. <laughs> Can you believe it? Can you even? I mean, and then look at this microphone. Isn't this fun? It's really darling, and you know, you know it's been crafted somewhere professional. <laughs> you know, this is not, this is a pretty penny, you know. You know, it almost make, makes me want to take it all, but I won't. <laughs> I won't take it home, Nana. I will not. <laughs> Do you find you've been doing her voice for a long time? Does it feel different doing her voice now that she's gone? Yes, yeah. I mean, I feel kind of weird about it. Like, I feel like, oh, you know, is that sad? But I, yeah, it's only comforting to me. Like, I like to hear it every once in a while. I try to do it to my sister. Like when you're in the kitchen making a sandwich? Yeah, Uh yeah. Or, um... Or I'll do it to my husband and be like, don't, don't. Uh, just because, you know, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, she was, I'm sure it's, it's not, um, it's not s- sexually exciting. Uh, <laughs> I do wonder, you've talked about with, with, your father was still living when you finished writing this book. yes. And so, um, is there anything you want to say about losing him? Oh, yeah. Well, it was interesting, because my mom was all prepared. She was kind of ready to die. She'd also been a hospice worker, so she kind of knew the, knew kind of what was going on. She was scared, but she was, uh, yeah, she had some peace about it. My dad, he got very depressed after my mom died, and he did everything, like everything. He went to a grief group. He, uh, you know, went through a a therapist. He went, uh, he got on medication. My dad had always had problems with depression, but he got a girlfriend and his girlfriend was tons of fun. Her name was Mary and she brought candy with her everywhere. And (laughs) she taught him to enjoy board games, which we had never enjoyed as a family before. And Mary would get, she got very competitive and would say things like, are you going to go in the crybaby room? (laughs) (laughs) So she was so funny and fun. And my dad, he just kind of stopped. He didn't want to eat. Mm. And he got this very sort of Karen Carpenter sort of anorexia thing Mm. where he stopped. He just kept saying, oh, I don't want to get fat. And I'm like, oh, no, what the fuck are you talking about? And we tried to get him to eat. Everybody tried to get him to eat. Um, And he was around, he was like 5'11", I think like 100 and maybe 20 pounds, Mm. very thin and... uh, he was out with some friends, but he still liked to party, hang out. And he uh, he got COVID, and he was gone within like seventy two hours. And it was just so it was so sad. I mean, I I, I think I got to be there, uh, which was 
I'm really grateful for that. But it was, yeah, super sad because I don't think he, he should have died that young. He was 82, I think, 82 or so. Mm. Uh, it just kind of sucked. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm wondering if, if somehow kind of this massive change in your parents no longer living, also in your family there was money that you inherited. Yes. How, how has that changed how you want to spend your time, and has it changed your ambition at all? Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, obviously I have ambition. I'm lit and have a microphone in my hand, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yikes. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, I guess that, that kind of the... Uh, yeah, the, I mean... I, I do know what it's like to feel like, oh, you're, a dream comes true. And then there's just the next thing, you know. So you always, there's always just the next thing. And, um, and often in our society, when you accomplish something, people go, when's your second book coming out? <laughs> what are you working on now? <laughs> What's going on with you? What's your next project? Oh, I'm done. <laughs> I finished early. <laughs> Coming up, more with Maria Bamford, including why she no longer works with Target. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. We're going to go to audience questions in just a moment, so get ready with your questions. Maria, I wonder if you could tell us the story of when you were in outpatient treatment. Okay. And you went home in a van. Yes. And you had some friends who knew when you were going home. Can you tell us about that? Well, it's one of my favorite memories of all time. Uh, I was at the um, Glendale Adventist Hospital psych facility during the day. They had an outpatient program from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And because you're on so many meds, they'd pick you up at your house. And because it was Adventist, these were giant purple vans. And um, I don't know what that means biblically, but I do know (laughs) that they're vegetarians. And um, so... Every day when I drive, get a ride home, um, I text my friends and say, who had a, my friends have a small business on York Boulevard. It's an eyeglass shop called Society of the Spectacle. And I text them and I'd uh, say, Purple Van and, 
you know, 20 seconds, and then they would come out on their front door and wave at me. (laughs) And everybody else in the van. Uh, So I felt they were just, yeah, they're still good friends, and they... uh, that's I was so grateful I had somebody come visit me in the hospital every single day, which I mean I did I wasn't a, uh I wasn't fun to be around, so that was very uh that was very kind. Well and also you were texting them so you were continuing to gather your people even yeah. when the van was going by. Yes, yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and uh it is weird who comes out of the closet or whatever when you tell people you've been psych you know in a psych facility like I had so many people go like I'm on lithium (laughs) I saw dragons (laughs) anyways (laughs) I mean people who I never you know or yeah happy-go-lucky people who I thought had it all together or whatever I was like oh that's awesome It was nice. That's the other thing about sharing everything is that people come in, they say the worst moments in their lives, you know. I sat on my rabbit. (laughs) It was just a mistake. I'm not a mistake, but that was a mistake. (laughs) We're going to go to the audience now. So raise your hand if you have a question for Maria. Let's see, this I saw one. This first question is all the way on your left. Okay. Hi, Maria. Thank you for being here. Uh, my question is, um, I'm curious to know, are you feel, do you feel most comfortable or happiest when you're among other folks with mental illness? Or are you most comfortable and happy with folks who don't struggle with it? Is there, is there like, where are you, what type of folks do you most enjoy the company of? Thank I you. don't know. I wouldn't want to call my friends out as... <laughs> uh, but I have to say, yeah, like, I, I love any kind of support groups and stand-up comedy really is just like an ongoing support group where people are trying to tighten up the narratives or, you know, they, but I, yeah, I, I think I, I, neurodivergency is, is very, I I really love that. You know, I, I think I feel more comfortable with that. I'm not, or one of the characters that I do is somebody who I think really has it all together and just really knows, you know, I don't, I don't really understand when somebody has a lack of confidence. I don't know. That's, that's just me because I'm a strong woman. Okay. And I know what I want. And like, I just, uh, that is not, I prefer, yeah, I prefer people who are, are willing to go, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Because <laughs> I, would, I would think that's majority. Yeah. Uh, but maybe I, I could be totally wrong about that. This person's all the way at the back in the center. 
Hi. Um, so I am a psychologist, and I've worked in a lot of settings where, I mean, like, I've seen a lot of shit metaphorically and literally. And, <laughs> um, like, one of the things that I have noticed is a lot of staff apathy rather than empathy. And I'm wondering from your experience sort of like on the other end of things, what is something that you wish staff at psych facilities, outpatient, you know, mental health care providers in general, what you wish they understood more? Well, I get it. Like people who are ill, no matter what they're ill with, whether it's mental or physical, are fucking exhausting. (laughs) Like, oh, you need another IV? You know, like, like, it's exhausting. And um, so I think that's, that's fair enough. And especially mental health facilities, I think they're understaffed. Um, there's also, you can get, I know I worked um, graveyards at a, a group home for the mentally retarded and mentally ill. And this, I, I got beat up like a couple times. So, so shit can go down. So it's like I, I get, you get into something feeling like it's going to be uh, meaningful. And then all of a sudden you're dealing with a very frustrating uh, personality or um you know, uh, people with multiple things going on, addictions, et cetera. Um, yeah, so I guess I would just say, um, yeah, to, I mean, I don't know if this is something, but uh, to, to really take care of themselves. Like, there's just no way you can be helpful to people who are in dire straits unless you're having a good time at night or <laughs> like having having a full social life and uh, yeah there's just n- no way um could i could i ask you to tell this you you paint a very vivid picture of when you were in inpatient treatment and you wanted a snack yes <laughs> and you went to the nurse's station could yes. you describe what that was well, like it's got the bulletproof glass or whatever that thick glass is. And then there's a little line of us who would get, you know, at around, I think it was around seven or maybe it was after dinner or before dinner, I can't remember. But everyone would line up. And when we line up for like one of those units of grand crackers where there's there's two and it's in a little package. And... And the nurses, like, they're busy. There's, they're like, they've got to be doing paperwork, I'm sure. Unbelievable amounts of paperwork that you've got to do from one interaction with a person. So, um, yeah, they're just kind of talking amongst themselves. <laughs> and they're like, clink, clink, clink. <laughs> clink, clink, clink. Grab, grab, grab. <laughs> For baby. <laughs> baby wants a crab cracker. I mean, it's... I, and I, I guess for mental health care, the great thing would be if it was more cheerful. Of, in terms of, like, you know, you go to a birthing center and it's like everything's pink and people are like, yay! And it might just be hilarious if there was more... Um, you know, up 
upbeat decor. <laughs> I, and candy. That sucked. Like, that there wasn't, um, my friends brought me in chocolate bars every day and, uh, and caffeine. And that was a, that was a sad thing. So, I, 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 it's hard to say, though, because you're so out of it and feel so terrible, so I, I'm not sure what what would necessarily uh, help. Um, but just even caring enough, like, I, I had a couple people who are very, like, a nurse sat down with me, and she said, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? And then I th- she recognized me from the Target commercials. <laughs> Because later on, I was running around the courtyard in the rain, and I was in my bare feet, you know, as you do. <laughs> and, and she said, you're the target lady. And I was like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Anyways, uh, but yeah, I don't know if that helps, but it, just that you're doing a wonderful job to even think of that is what I'm saying. Uh, to think of, because it, it's it's a very difficult job, um, I would think. I want to end on Target. Okay, yes. <laughs> uh, um, there's a, a very, a, a, another story in this book about the experience you had of being the Target spokesperson and then starting to feel very ethically uh, challenged yes. by whether this was the right thing for you to be doing. And you wrote a letter to the ethicist. To the New York Times At the New York Times. To ask if it was something you ought to be doing. Such a loon. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm wondering if Target, which is from your part of America where you grew up. Yes. It's a very comforting place sometimes. Is it somewhere that you still... Oh, my gosh. I certainly go shop there. It's delightful. It's all the progressive messaging uh, that you're looking for, but all the prices of Walmart, because it's still a shit show. Like, they're not—they're union busters. They make—manufacture everything overseas. Like, it's just—it's awful, you know? Like, they— yeah, it's not good. Not good. Uh, but it's in bright primary colors, so I enjoy it. Um, but, yeah, I got real anxious about that. My solution was, which I was, they, yeah, they, they fired me, which is, thank God. Uh, but, hey, um, but, uh, oh, I now, I, after that, I don't do any advertising for anything because I, I think that's the one thing I enjoyed about doing stand-up is that I can say whatever the fuck I want about (laughs) anything, you know? And so to do a commercial and suddenly have to shut up about uh, all the, especially a a situation that I'm currently experiencing uh, was such a bummer. So anyways, Target will not carry this book. That's Maria Bamford at City Arts and Lectures before a live audience on stage in San Francisco. She has a new comedy album out called Crowd Pleaser. 
And her new book is called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, a memoir of mental illness and the quest to belong anywhere. Read it, or the audiobook is also definitely worth a listen. If you or someone you love is struggling with a mental health crisis with risk of suicide, you can start finding help by calling 988, the National Mental Health Crisis Line in the U.S. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Ellie McKay. The rest of our team is Liliana Maria Percy Ruiz, Zoe Azule, Lindsay Foster Thomas, and Andrew Dunn. Thank you to Kate goldstein Breyer, Holly Mulder-Wollen, and the whole City Arts and Lectures team for sharing this audio with us. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. The show is on Instagram at DeathSexMoney, and I'm there at AnnaSalePicks, that's P-I-C-S. And subscribe to our weekly newsletter. If you haven't already, you can sign up at DeathSexMoney.org slash newsletter. Thank you to Sarah Rose in St. Louis, Missouri, for being a member of Death, Sex, and Money and supporting us with a monthly donation. We could not do this without you, Sarah, and all of our sustaining members. Thank you. And when it comes to finding comfort during a mental health crisis, Maria says that no one compares to her first dog, Blossom. Especially with intrusive thoughts, like, you know, I could have the most creepy, awful thoughts, and she didn't care. (laughs) She'd just kind of lean into me as if I wasn't a danger to society. Because, yeah, dogs just, they just sit on whatever you're worried about. And because they like how it feels on their butt. (laughs) I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.